Chapter 31 How God Would Win the Heart A Talk to City Men What has God done to win our hearts? If a father has lost the love of his child, our first question would be, Can he do anything to get it back? Our God is always doing much to gain man's heart. He maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he provides the rain from heaven and gives fruitful seasons. Matthew 5.45 We have much happiness, for this world is not, after all, a prison or a penal colony. We have bright days and resilient spirits. We sometimes rejoice with great joy and are never quite hopeless. He who gives us our many mercies says, as he gives them, Will you not love me, my child, because these things are given to you? Will you not see my hand and believe in my love? If God has prospered you in business, if God has spared you the wife of your youth, if he has given you children to laugh upon your knee, then love him for them. These are his tokens of love as he pursues you to love him. Yes, and when he changes his hand and gives us trouble, he still has the same intent and purpose. We have our household idols, and he cannot bear these rivals, for he alone is God. He must have our whole heart, and therefore he removes the idols. From some people he takes away wealth, for when crushed with the fear of poverty, the soul has often sought its wealth in God, and God has been kinder in taking away than in giving. A dear child is taken home whose curly hair had entangled all our affections, and when she is gone among the angels, we also send our hearts to heaven. Just as a sheep that will not follow the shepherd is compelled to follow him when the shepherd takes its lamb and carries it in his arms, so has it been with many fathers' hearts. Dear children have been evangelists, gospels in flesh and blood, little messengers of mercy to call us back to our great Father. I am certain that people are not without troubles. There is not one among us who has not had his wintry months and his long nights of darkness. To us then, as in the visions of the night, God speaks, and he says, see Jeremiah 2.13, Will you not turn away from the broken cisterns that can hold no water, and drink of me, the everlasting fount of joy and love? Thus, with pleasing words of gentleness and harsher syllables of trial, he calls for our love. Also, he has put in all of us a conscience that works to the same purpose. Some have tried to numb their conscience, and it goes to be numb until it is quiet. Conscience will become silent by degrees, yet there is a conscience in us that cries every now and then, This is not right, this is not right. There is no peace in this way of life. There is no future joy to be hoped for in this way. Conscience rings the alarm bell and knocks at our door, like the watchman at night when the house is on fire. Conscience says to us, Things will be wrong forever unless there is a change. Awake and seek your God. Do you hear a still, small voice within you calling you to seek your God? 1 Kings 19.12 Listen to it at once, for it is your life. Best of all, to win our love, God has unveiled Himself in the book of inspiration and in the person of His dear Son. The face of God is so supremely beautiful that at the sight of it angels perpetually adore, and when men behold it, 
though it is only through a glass darkly, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, love is inevitable. Dr. Watts has well sung, His worth if all the nations knew, sure the whole world would love him too. Footnote. These lines are from a hymn by Isaac Watts, 1674-1748, that begins with, The wondering world inquires to know. You might ask, how did he unveil his face? It was in the person of his only begotten Son, who would rather die himself than see us die, who out of pure unselfish love left the throne and the royalty of heaven to descend to the manger, and to be made like ourselves, to live in poverty here, and at last to die. Behold, on Calvary, where God Himself bears the consequences of sin that we might escape from them, where Jehovah Jesus bows His head that was wrapped with a crown of thorns, and gives up the ghost in order that, without any violation of justice, God might extend boundless mercy, it was there that He said, Men, see what I am. I am the God of love. I am just, but even in my stern justice I am desirous not to unsheathe the sword or to inflict the penalty upon you if you will simply turn to me. Give me now your hearts, and accept my love in Jesus Christ, trusting my Son with your souls. Today the God of love declares an act of amnesty and forgiveness for all the past. No matter how little you may have loved, you may now begin to love for He will cast your transgressions into the depths of the sea. Micah 7.19 No matter how far we have gone into the far-off country, He is willing to hold us close to Him and take us back again as if we had never wandered, yes, and even to rejoice over us as the Father in the parable rejoiced over the returning prodigal. Luke 15 If we believe in Jesus as the propitiation for sin, He will say concerning our offenses, I have cast all their sins behind my back. They will not be remembered against them any more forever. And then, to show His love, He sets before us a very simple way of salvation. If you go into a dark room and set before yourself the problem, How can I get this darkness out? you will be in a great difficulty. You may go around and ask this puzzle to all your philosophers and thinkers How can we pump the darkness out of the room? However, they will not be able to solve the question. But if a little child comes in and opens the window, the darkness is gone. Now, it would be impossible for us to remove all the sin and enmity that is in the human heart, but the gospel says, Believe in the love of God as it is revealed in Jesus Christ. Trust Him, and all will be light. That opens a window, and the darkness flees at once. The soul has light and peace, and begins to love God, not because it should, but because it cannot help loving one who has forgiven so willingly and so freely, and has given His own Son for our redemption. Yes, He has given that Son to death itself, in order that all the past might once for all be obliterated. It is wonderful what effects accompany a childlike faith in Jesus. The transformations that it works are moral miracles. Many a man would like to be a child again and stand at his mother's knee where he learned his first prayer. He would like to be laid in the cradle again and have the name of Jesus mingled with the hush of a lullaby. He would like to begin life anew 
with wiser purposes and nobler aims. But oh, those dark years that have come in between our childhood and today, those years of wandering and sin! But take courage, for you may begin again. Your dream may be in some sense realized. Behold, the Lord suggests to you that you should be born again, that you should be made new creations in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. He tells you that whosoever will come and trust Christ, for that is faith, simply coming and trusting God in Christ Jesus, will find himself reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Don't fail to remember that the Lord has promised one other great gift that proves his love by a present blessing. He has given us the promise of his Holy Spirit. Inasmuch as our spirit has become weak and rebellious, he gives his own divine spirit to come and dwell within us. Young man, that Holy Spirit will dwell in you, will subdue all wayward passion, and will stir up in you all holy desire, until you will be God's living and loving servant as long as you live. Men of middle age, the Holy Spirit will deliver you from wearying care and greed and worldliness, and will give you higher objects of pursuit. Aged men, that divine Spirit will dwell in you, and develop you for the great day of ingathering, and for the heaven that is prepared for believers. The Holy Spirit is indispensable to one and all. But it is written, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Luke 11.13. I hear someone make an excuse. Somebody says, I know these claims, and I intend to think of them sometime, but I have no time right now. Well, your excuse will not help you, because God has given you time. When He made you and appointed your place, He gave you time. Yet you have wasted it or have misused it on lesser things. Remember that your time is not yours. You are only a servant, and you are responsible to your master for every moment of it. If you happen to be a clerk, and your employer says, That book is not up to date, that account was never made out, you don't say, I couldn't spare the time. Your time belongs to him whose servant you are. Our time is not our time, but it is God's time, and the first thing a man has to do is to see that it is properly used. Besides, doing this does not take any time away from needful pursuits. A man will have just as much time for other pursuits when his main pursuit, which sanctifies all, is the glory of God. Don't tell me you have no time. The most industrious businessmen are also very frequently Christian men and I have seen men who have found time to teach Sunday school, time to be deacons in our churches, and even time to preach, yet these men are nevertheless among the most diligent in business. If they did neglect their business, they would also be failing, I think, in the service of their God, since there is no sharp line of division to be made between business and Christianity. When rightly viewed, our religion becomes our business, and our business is a living part of our religion. It is troublesome to make a gulf in life between one set of actions and another, for life should be all of one piece. Scripture, Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31
Somebody found fault with us for praying about politics. I don't know any politics that I will not pray about. I know nothing among men that does not come under the broad heavens of my religion. Even if it is something absolutely wrong, I still may pray against it. Christianity should sit as queen over both politics and business. Oh, but business is business, they say. I know it is, but business has no business to be such business as it often is. The greatest business of a businessman should be to pay his debts to his God and seek to live to his praise. He can do that and still find time enough to pay his debts to man. Another person replies as if he had given a conclusive answer, You see that my heart is wrong. I have a heart that will not love God. Yes, that's the trouble with it, but it is your fault, not your excuse. A man who is charged with theft is brought before a judge, and the excuse the man makes is that somehow or other he could never be honest because he always found his heart so much inclined to wickedness. I was going to give you a month, says the judge, but I will give you two after that, because by your own confession you are a thief at heart. Your theft was not a chance action. It's evident that you are a bad fellow, and you had better be kept under lock and key. When someone says, My heart is so hard, it's set upon evil, that is a confession of a still greater sin. Having made it, do not use it as an excuse, but look upon it as a reason to humble yourself before God and say, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51 10. These excuses evidently do not hold water even now. What will we do when we have to give our final account? I was once told that the stock exchange was shut because it was settling day. I don't understand the mysteries of that institution, but I do know that there is a settling day coming to us all. You may feast if you will, but you will have to pay the price. You may rejoice in your youth and your manhood and spend your time and substance as you please, but he who comes in the clouds of heaven will judge us all. Matthew 24:30 I wish each person would quietly sit down and say I will suppose this is where I will be found at the judgment day then look up and with a little imagination you can picture the great white throne and hear the last decree proclaimed by the archangel's trumpet what will you say in that day to this question did you love god with all your heart If you have lived a stranger to the ever-blessed God, you will give no answer except your silence, and that silence will seal your doom. May God grant that you may not still owe your debt in that day, but that you will now be led by the Holy Spirit to repentance of past faults and to a simple, earnest trust in Jesus, and then you will meet the last summons without a bit of fear.